you know, whereas the U the US heavily legislates and it's much more capitalist than we are, and certain regimes in the in the Asian markets don't really give a sh about those things whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I think you know, fair enough. And there's a, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, no, no I, I, you know, as a generalisation, I can't pick holes in it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a massive generalisation. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Uh, Ian's done a runner again, so once more, off the bench, comes Super Sub Ray. Yeah, he's in France this week. Is he? Yeah. Go on, son. Um, and uh, before I get into it, if you're watching us on YouTube or on the site or on Facebook, you can listen to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or countless other services because we're just so popular now um, and vice versa. Right, this week, what we're going to chat about... Uh, Ray, you seem keen on chatting about AI, specifically in telecom, so yes. I think we might we might open up on that and maybe go off on some other AI tangents. Pierre, get your get your Terminator noise ready for the edit. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to talk a bit about regulation. There's been some stuff going on to do with regulators, which hopefully won't be as dull as that sounds. <laughs> Um, and lastly, we're going to talk about spectrum auctions, which also are far more exciting than they sound. Uh, but this is a telecoms podcast, so if you've got a problem with it, then what are you doing listening <laughs> in the first place? So just back off. <laughs> right. No, no, uh, stay, stay. No, stay. I was only joking. <laughs> uh, where was I? All right. So, um, Ray, yes. you kick it off. Yes. Um, there's a lot of artificial intelligence in telecoms these days, isn't it? Well, a lot of talk about it. Um, I mean, activity as well. Um, so, but this week in particular, so Ian uh, is not here because he's in Paris. He's at a conference where AI is one of the main topics. But before I get to that, there was also uh, a move this week, pretty interesting for Qualcomm, yeah. um, which has been developing uh, AI uh, algorithms for, for its chips into devices for quite yeah. some time. But it's now going down the path of challenging um, uh, Intel and NVIDIA uh, in terms of uh, uh, AI components uh, for data center yep. uh, infrastructure, which is pretty interesting. And I guess, you know, it's kind of, you know, um, not so much FOMO, but it, it, I guess it needs to, it, it, it has the AI, AI capabilities. Obviously, this is a big market, mm. you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense for it to try and go down that route. But, you know, it's got some pretty serious catching yeah. up to do. Uh, but you know, big company, a lot of pedigree. Um, so yeah, sure and um, I covered that as well. There's, it seems to be particularly strong in what it calls inference right. AI, um, which I think is more or less as as it's described. I some of the sort of clever bits of AI where you can infer something from something else. And one of the reasons it's good at inference is what you were just describing. It's already been in millions possibly billions of devices so and it's been doing things like doing translations and um, and doing clever bits of sort of calculation on these devices and it's built up this database or this core knowledge which it can draw upon to make these inferences so that's judging by its press release anyway um, one of the areas in which it thinks it's got an advantage over as you say the likes of um, Intel and Nvidia yeah so there was that earlier in the week, and then um, Ian's reporting from Paris has been pretty interesting in terms of the um, more pra some of the more pragmatic views of the potential use of AI in telecoms. Um, so there's been um, speakers. So um, uh, Colt, 
um, which is a European um, telco, but likes to push the boundaries, likes to um, uh, be testing things out pretty early doors. Um, and I guess it's more than a year and a half ago they announced a, 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 an internal program they called Sentio uh, to look at the potential for artificial intelligence in some some very pragmatic areas like uh, uh, fault management um, and, uh, and 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 network planning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. N- nothing uh, too science fiction. We'll and get to that. Yeah, <laughs> and so they've been doing some trials and tests, etc. Um, and essentially, what they found is that the likelihood of um, networks running themselves completely, like the mm. the, the zero touch, the human free network operations, is so far okay. away. Oh, that makes you feel um, better. Yes, I think it makes, uh, and I think Ian's take on it was this is <laughs> this is going to make the operations people at Colt feel a lot better that they're right. they're not about to be replaced by a robot. But I think there's, I, I think we are settling in telecoms into you know identifying where this where AI can be put to good use. Uh, but I also think that you know there's also um, some precedent being set here by the likes of uh, BT, which has been using machine learning to great effect in its global security uh, operations, um, where it has some very sophisticated uh, machine learning tools uh, from some um, with the help of some specialist vendors. But it is ne- it never relies totally uh, on on those uh, on those robots on those tools. It uses that information to feed into a human operator who can interpret yeah. what the uh, machine learning uh, tools are, the information that's coming up with, and that human operative then decides on the action yeah. to be taken. And I think that's the really the kind that is, yeah, that is the model I think that we'll see. So I think there's a lot of efficiency to be had from from AI, and I uh, and I also think it's worth looking, you know, all, always striving to go how far can we take this, you know, how close can we get to zero touch, um, and that's all you got to you got to aim yeah. far away to try and get there. But I think the thought uh, having wide area uh, multi-service communication networks um, that are running themselves I think is such a long way off that nobody listening to this podcast should need worry about it no, and we'll certainly be long gone oh totally, yeah it's it's all about the data though isn't it I mean you can't you can't, yeah (laughs) I got told off before before (laughs) we actually started about where my mic is um (laughs) But it's to say, but that, but that's applicable to every aspect of artificial intelligence, isn't it? I mean, you 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 can have you've got data on the faults, but you've got no you haven't got the data for the machine learning to learn about the results and the the possible consequence and the decision made and whether that was a good or bad decision. That'll eventually come with time. But it's the same as like to liken it with um, you know there there was that incident in Christchurch uh, and Facebook Live report uh, sort of like showed it and a load of people said well why didn't your artificial intelligence uh, pick up on the fact that this is um, this is you know really bad content and shut it down and Facebook just turned around and this is a perfectly reasonable response from Facebook is well to identify horrific material the AI needs horrific material to To understand what it actually is bizarre chicken and egg thing but there's just not enough of that 
horrific material f- to teach the AI, and that's possibly when it comes down to yeah. network fault management and network planning. There's the incidents there, but there isn't enough of the outcomes, and then you know longer term down the line yeah. to understand whether it's good or bad decision. So as soon as you get more of those decisions and then you understand two years down the line whether they were good or bad decisions, that's when you can train and become more and more yeah. automated further, further through the process. I think there's there's also areas where you could um, you could take the AI tools that bit further and 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 give them <laughs> give them the chance to prove themselves in real life situations yeah, yeah. where if stuff goes wrong there isn't really much comeback so and this is why i think you know uh, ai enabled chatbots for example mm-hmm. there's been a lot of work on that and of course by enabling them to actually interact with customers there's been a lot of that learning so yeah. a lot of yeah, progress yeah, yeah. but if a chatbot doesn't know what to do or perhaps gives a confusing answer then that's not the end of the world. Yeah. That customer is unlikely to go. I've had enough of this, you know. And then a human can step in. But if you make a mistake in the, the network, network yeah. you, then you boy, boy, yeah, yeah, it's but the potential is shutting it down and impacting, you know, tens of millions of people potentially, and, well, not, the, and not just annoying somebody for five seconds. It's, yeah. the, it's the benefit. It's the benefit trade-off, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, in, in, in the customer service example, because I was out with Vodafone um, months and months back, and they said they trained their AI to something like 42 different queries or 64 different queries or something like that. So when the AI recognizes that, you know, it's something to do with, um, I don't know, ero- erroneous charges on a bill, because there's so many different aspects towards erroneous charges the ai hasn't been trained on that so it yeah. immediately hands over to yeah. a human operative um so it, but so it's, it's identifying yeah. those cases and the yeah. same thing can be done for the network you just incrementally add and add and add use cases and and sort of different features and eventually automation will take over yeah going to give a shout out here as well to Telefonica as well because they've been doing a lot of work in this area not only on the customer facing side where they've been doing cloud based AI enabled customer service which they talked about at Mobile World Congress this year and they've been doing a lot with Microsoft Azure there but they're also they've been spending a lot of time looking at it um, sort of behind the scenes as well I think you know Telefonica is an example of another operator that's already put a lot of time and effort into this, as have a bunch of others. Mm. But that's it, because I was at that press conference as well. I was a, I thought, uh, I, I took a lot away from that, and I thought yeah. what they were doing in terms of like the the virtual assistants and creating that sort of smart ecosystem behind their virtual assistants, really, really good, bold yeah. move. And now they're going to move it into the smart home. Yes. So they're ahead of the game. and you can't there's there is no way to catch up it's a a great opportunity i mean you're talking about uh you know we were talking ages and ages ago about the battle for the living room and because the telcos already have hardware in the living room you could build the ecosystem around that gateway and you know uh, the the, the smart speakers wrestled it away from the router and now control the ecosystem i mean this is a great idea of diverse space diversifying uh revenues you know, they yeah. they collect all the users and all the third parties going through the same gateway and monetize. They don't monetize the user; they monetize the services which the user is buying in the the the, the, the smart ecosystem that's been built 
around the, the, the virtual assistant. I think it's just, it's a wonderful way to leverage. I think the telcos have an opportunity to, to, to get back in and wrest back some of the control yeah. by promising not to listen in and to respect the privacy of customers because I think people are starting to get freaked out by the fact that if they have um, you know a, a voice activated assistant in their home and they talk a lot about uh, trainers or ASOS or yeah. such and such and all of a sudden adverts are appearing in their Instagram yeah. feed and they're freaking out I think, totally. I, think I mean the, the telcos are in a fantastic opportunity because they developed that 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 trust relationship with the consumer already or the customer already you know they've had the billing details of these customers yeah. for decades and also they've been enabling conversations and texts for decades and you know do you presume that your telco is listening on your call or reading your sms's as they cross the network no so it's the government that presumption of, yeah <laughs> but that presumption of trust and innocence is already there with the telco so it's yeah. a great it's a great position to leverage yeah back to what we're talking about uh sort of machine learning and schooling the ai and that goes all the way back to that qualcomm thing with the inference do we think in the case of these sort of smart speakers that the underlying strategy is that they are building up this repository of machine learning sort of prior knowledge yep. by you know by listening on all our chats and all that sort of thing? Well, and also I think it's not only machine... In fact, did I read just today that Amazon has 7,000 humans listening in to when commands are, you know, when it's right. Alexa, you know, tell me this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's not only um, um, a robotic process, but there's a, they have humans on this as well, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and this comes down to the understanding of what is being said rather than just the humans basic, there to sort of fine tune it. Basic syntax. So this is so this is one of the one of the things that a lot of people don't really understand about artificial intelligence and it's a massive massive bugbear of mine that people say AI and machine learning whereas AI is the umbrella term yeah. and machine learning is a single technology in that umbrella of AI and one of the other huge really really challenging areas uh, underneath the umbrella is context and general knowledge because you know f to make a lot of these decisions the, the the you know the, the the applications need the power of context and general knowledge but you think how would you actually put that incredible library of context and experience that we've got in our head and yeah. we take granted that we've learned over all our entire lives yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot if less that years person's british they're being sarcastic yeah 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 quite but, good really yeah but but how do you translate that <laughs> i don't into really think it's language? a nice day <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> How do, you, day, huh? <laughs> how do you translate that into a computer library that yeah. it can lead concepts, on? That, yeah. So this is where I think this is—is is that the sim similar sort of thing you were talking about with the Amazon? Uh, I think so. I, placing I saw, it in, into yeah. context. I saw, a, I saw a headline. I hope I haven't misrepresented yeah. it. But I think it's a massive, massive area, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, you know, a lot of the AI functions can't exist without context. Yeah. And um, one thing that occurs to me strategically about that, if you know, if Qualcomm thinks it can take on some very well-established incumbents in the cloud space because, at least in part, because of this um, track record, this build-up of contextual knowledge it has for this inference AI that it talks about, then is this a new arms race whereby companies like Qualcomm and then obviously Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook, etc., um, 
basically make themselves create a really high barrier to entry to AI because you can't do AI up to their standard unless you've got all this incredible yeah. I mean yeah, this, is what I said, background yeah, stuff. this is what I meant before you right. you can't without unless you buy one of these companies and you buy their knowledge yeah you can't catch up and actually yeah. that's that's applicable to a, a, a lot of areas I think it's um I mean this you, is you can't fast forward this stuff I mean this is where Amazon Qualcomm you know the the, the all of these companies will make money in the future because you can sell this knowledge to you know you can sell access to the library to application developers and you know the the people that are creating the front end ai services they're the real you know the clever the clever programmers that come out of like mit they don't have this hardcore um you know data science background they're they're these they're the guys that build in the front end applications. They'll need access to these libraries. Mm -hmm. And yeah. this, that's a massive monetization opportunity. Well, but actually, that's a good point. I mean, this is a slight sort of segue into the next topic, but that doesn't mean we're abandoning the previous one. But I think when, when these companies are in possession of, of such an important resource as you just described, I think governments and regulators are going to poke their nose in pretty hard. If, you know, if they suddenly go, there's no way you can build a viable AI system for whatever use on the back of our prior knowledge without us charging you absolute tons of money. It might be a bit like FRAND patents in, in, in mobile standards where they say, look, this is so essential to everyone that we're going to regulate how much you can charge for this. Yes, you can still charge, but you can't hold everyone over a barrel because you're basically a monopolist when it comes to, or an oligopolist when it comes to this this sort of um, entry point to AI. So I think uh, See, they find is, themselves this, regulated quite hard on that. This is where the culture, I think, would be slightly different there because um, Qualcomm have a way of, or, or if you look at their patents, of wrestling more money out of potential mm. customers. Ask Apple. Yeah, whereas um, if you look at the, the, the basic principle of Amazon and, and Google is scale. You know, you look at the reason the reason Google is making so much money is because it, it works with so many different organizations. And you know, it's 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 streamlining that process that you can actually collect, you know, five pounds and that's four pound fifty uh, profits from Papa yeah. uh, not Papa John's, but you know, I don't know Tennessee Fried Chicken down the road. You know, a, 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 a tiny. I can tell you, don't live in a very affluent. <laughs> area. I don't even you don't even get Kentucky. <laughs> it's very specific. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but then as opposed to the nationwide brands but at the top end of the scale. Yeah. So yeah, so but, but but the, the the idea of Google is built on scale and accessibility to everyone and making money across the board through scale, mm. which I think it's it's a, it, and then you know you got two repositories and you've got two different cultures of how to make money yeah no totally I mean, I mean the culture side of it is fascinating so another thing was it you that wrote about um, Europe trying to sort of set up some kind of standard for AI ethics yeah um, you know that <laughs> <laughs> he said, that he said with a heavy heart that was a weary um, yes yeah. <laughs> Right, well, way to uh, take the wind out of my segue. Uh, um, it, well, it was seven it, principles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. I'll ask you, however, however painful it is to you to elaborate in a bit. But you know, ethics in AI is an interesting thing because, of course, um, if we've got machines making decisions effectively on behalf of human beings, there has to be an ethical element to it. Yeah. And so Europe's had a go. You don't seem you don't seem too blown away by it. Um, well, that's I, I mean. 
it's just one of those things that it's just it's not it's not regulation it's not legislation it's not it's not anything really for the moment it's just guidelines which will probably give a bit of a direction of where future national legislation will head in the future um but it's all very you know it's all just very fluffy there's yeah. nothing particularly but wouldn't it be nice if we didn't screw this up yeah you know it's like i mean the the, the principles themselves um you know, I, I should have got I should have got them up because I knew we were going to talk about right, it, so I should have actually got them up beforehand. Ah, um, get people to go and read them on the site. Yeah, 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 yeah. go on the site. <laughs> um, the principles themselves aren't particularly that exciting, but right, hence the sign. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're they're just quite generic. Yeah, and top very line. very yeah. top line uh, to build foundations for future. I mean, don't get me wrong, you've got to start somewhere, and Europe has. Taken, taken the furthest, uh, you know, the most steps forward. So it kind of looks like Europe are going to take much more of a, uh, a a prominent stance on the right. world than anyone else. Um, mainly because I think we're a bit more, uh, we're a bit more fluffy and you know, we're a bit more soft and cuddly around the edges. You know, we care about people's opinions more and privacy over here and that sort of thing. You know, whereas the U the US heavily legislates and it's much more capitalist than we are and certain regimes in the in the Asian markets don't really give a shit about the things whatsoever. <laughs> um so I think, you know Fair enough. And there's um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, no, I mean I, you know, as a generalization I can't pick holes in it. <laughs> yeah it is. It's a massive generalization. Um odious though I find the organization the European <laughs> Commission and the Union has some distinct uses when it comes to things like this because they they do you know, they do speak with a common voice on behalf of hundreds of millions of people when they do implement some kind of initiative or viewpoint or piece of legislation they will follow through on it they've been pretty good at sort of um, monopoly busting the tech giants and that sort of thing. Mm. And I've got to say, most of the time when they've done them, I haven't found it to be a gratuitous bit of victimisation. They've normally had a point. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll give I'll give credit where it's due. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with the idea that it has to be regulated and legislated. You know, it has to be yeah. regulated. They have to be. If you just let the free market go crazy with AI, or God knows. Oh, well, you, you let the free market go then, crazy with then anything. Then the time, isn't it? I, I think the. Uh, I think the warnings have been out there through a few years, and the the concerns are around the weapons industry, isn't it? Yes, well, definitely. Um, yeah, and Google. Not a lot of ethics there. It's not known. It's known for sort of putting ethics as a, a top priority. Um, but yeah, I mean, going full circle back to the telecoms thing. Do you think you know we agree that AI in networks is at least for the time being, an efficiency play. It's just about reducing a bit of headcount in terms of what needs, what you need to get, make the plumbing work or whatever, mm -hmm. but not full automation for a long time. Do you think that there needs to be ethical considerations in, in this quite sort of pragmatic use of AI, or is that very black and white? I reckon the telcos, this will really cut the, the this will really distinguish between future-proof telcos and the ones that are just literally trying to look at short-term profits no, to keep uh, to, to, yeah to keep investors happy because yeah. I think there is there's massive efficiency gains to be played but it's the ones that use AI for value add and that'll eat into a lot of their capital 
uh, at least in the first instance. But it's the ones that actually absorb that uh, that that sort of that capital expenditure will be better in the long run. Um, so yeah, I think there will be a two tier two tier um, right. uh, telco, one which is purely utility, and the ones that are immediately focused on actually reducing. Uh, reducing expenditure yeah. and then the ones that are really investing in some really smart products were built around AI like Telefonica um, are the ones that will maintain that position as okay. a, a communication service or what do they call it? a digital services Pro provider yeah, DSP. as opposed to a, communi yeah. a, a communications utility exactly that's a, so do you, do you think the case for the ROI um, for investment in AI for, tele for telcos is pretty clear cut I think so and to come back to your ethics question, I think some ethics is probably required when the use of AI is for customer engagement and much less so, if at all, when it's for internal yeah. process automation. Because there's no there's no ethical implication the to only, opt optimising one bit of the network over another or yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I guess some people would argue that there is an ethical element because the use of these kind of tools could result in headcount reductions and yes. putting people so that in out itself is an ethical consideration. Mm. But in terms of the specifics, that's a I think that's a more yeah. general workforce, yeah. you know, uh, bigger picture thing. And they get. I mean, you guys, I like reading. You've been you've been strong on um, that whole sort of automation angle within telcos and, and operators. I get the impression they tend to get a bit twitchy whenever we bring it up. Well, they don't want to talk about the yeah. um, the potential impact on their workforces. No, because it's not going to be. It's never going to be a PR win for them, is it? No. It's always. I mean, they they they're just very edgy about redundancies, aren't they? You yeah. know. I mean, you bring it up with someone like Deutsche Telekom, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we don't make these massive swathing cuts like BT do." You know, do you remember that? that you know, the thirteen thousand redundancy amounts last year. But if you actually have a look. They probably sacked as many people of as BT, slicing. but yeah, but it's death by a thousand cuts because like Ian's Ian's collects a lot of data on this, and you look over the last five or six years, and they are just as accumulates yeah, just as ruthless cutting the heads, cut, uh, well, dropping the head count. They just do it on a, a small sort of subtle yeah. way. Sneaky, yeah. Like no one reported, for instance, that um, what was it? Um, oh, it's Telefonica. It's different, different. Bag. <laughs> Different, different telco, but no one reported that Telefonica was cutting ten percent of his workforce in Germany right. um, the other day. They said that there's going to be something like because I didn't, I would have thought they'd have more people there, but apparently they've only got a thousand or fifteen hundred people working there. Maybe right. this is someone, but uh, maybe this is someone or who's just quoting some bad statistics. I didn't cover it because it wasn't that many jobs. So, right. but but it, it proves it's my point. Like I didn't, or so. I didn't cover it. So it's death by death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that seems to be a sensible way. If you're if you're the if you're the sort of evil mastermind at the top of a company, sort of twirling your moustache and stroking your cat, the the clever way to to create efficiencies would be around. on the sly. Yes, <laughs> twirling your cat. Um, yes, that would seem to be the clever way of doing it. There's there's another way, and this is a bit of a segue, maybe be a bit forced, but bear with me. Um, where there's there might be an ethical consideration. And there's also been a regulatory um, angle this week, which is the topic of net neutrality, which they get a lot more excited about in the US than we do here. And they are just, um, they're trying to push through some bill. So, you know, the, the um, what is it? F 
the FCC is it? FCC. Yeah. So they uh, previously they they basically opened it up so that operators. Sorry, I'll stop paraphrasing and hand over to you in a sec, James. Um, <laughs> so that operators could sort. They had a more laissez-faire approach, and now Democrats are trying to push back on a more restrictive approach. But that could be bullshit. You tell me. Tell I, me like it is. I dis. Um, yes, I mean that's the story that the Democrats are putting out onto. Uh, onto the world that the Republicans are, you know, favouring this Wild West internet, where everyone, um, you know, all the telcos have, you know, basically no regulation. They can do whatever they want, and they screw Joe blogs ultimately. Yeah. Um, so basically, what they've done. This, I mean, I'll start off with my position on the matter first. Sure. I think the Democrats are going too heavily regulation, and yeah. the, the the Republicans initially by completely repealing Tom Wheeler's net neutrality rules have gone too light touch. Right. So I think you know there has to, there has to be some middle ground. Um, and at the moment, so 2017, June uh, June 20, uh, 2018, they uh, the, the 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 Republicans passed what they called the Restoring Freed uh, Internet Freedom yeah. Order, which cut down all net neutrality rules. Right. However, what they have done since is they've introduced a a bill called Preserving Internet Freedoms or something like that. Simplistic names for their bits of legislation, don't they? Which which has been working its which is currently getting blocked by the House of Representatives where the Democrats have majority. But this bill, introduced by the Republicans, um, stops telcos blocking traffic and stops telcos uh, degrading the performance of internet traffic, which right. is two of the big concerns are, which is protected by net neutrality. But it does allow um, telcos to run a premium service. Yeah. So you can, you can pay to have your internet traffic sped up. So Democrats are blocking this, saying we want all three blocked, which yeah. is, from my, from my perspective, yeah. too far to one direction. The telcos should be allowed the opportunity to make money. Now, the, the Democrats have introduced another bill which blocks all three. Um, yeah. And that's gone, that's gone, that's passed through the House and is probably going to get, uh, is 99.9% likely to get blocked by the Senate. Right, um, which is still Republican controls. Which is still Republican yeah. controls. And even if it does get through the Senate, the White House have promised a, pre- a yeah. presidential veto. Now, Trump's probably tweeted something like, it could kiss my ass. Yeah. But the, but for me this is this is the worrying thing about about telco uh, about politics in the US. It's so so partisan. <laughs> for me, there's a real simple solution to this. The telco should be allowed to offer a premium traffic service, but you put conditions on it. You say, okay, you can sell faster internet services, yeah. but the maximum speed you can sell. Is twenty five percent faster than your than your standard service. That yeah. that way, it offers the telcos an opportunity to monetize and offer premium services, but it removes the idea of giving such so b- uh, below par services yeah. on the standard that it that you forces force everyone to the premium onto the premium. Seems very services. sensible to me, mate. You should be a regulator. See, I should I should be in the regu- I should be a regulator. But is the concern about the speed of a broadband service, or whether a telco might prioritise its video service over other video services? No, no, no. So the the concern, the big concern, is on the say like content provider side. Where you know startups are going to have no opportunity to compete against the likes of Netflix because 
Netflix can pay to have this premium service, which is five times faster than the mediocre ser- or the standard service, whereas startups will never be able to m- make that expect uh, meet that customer experience. Yeah. Therefore, can no no longer lodge a challenge to the likes of Netflix. But Ray, you make make a good point with with AT and T buying. Um, Time Warner and all that. Yeah, sort yeah. Of thing. Whether they prioritise it, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but they say I think Jamie's broad rules still apply, whether you own it yourself yeah. or whether it's a third party. I think I agree. The gap between the premium and the bog standard should be regulated to a certain yeah. maximum. If you, yeah, because as far as I'm concerned, you have to give these give these telcos the opportunity to make money off the the, the billions they've made uh, spent on networks. You know, yeah. The OTTs enable ROI, but also innovation at the same time. Exactly. But which is what regulators are supposed to do. Exactly. It's just that they arse it up half the time. Because well, they're as, under a lot of know, pressure, remember. Yeah, they are under yeah, pressure. That's true. Um, but yeah, because this... We have the photos. Because <laughs> the balance isn't... It's not It's not in a good position at the moment. And the OTTs are constantly biting at the telcos saying, we're going to steal more of your revenues, actually. And that can't, that's not sustainable, is it? So let's no, be honest. And the, other, and the other problem, and we kind of touched on this last week, is this stuff all becomes politicised. So obviously, yeah. obviously... You know, in the states, there'll be a degree of rep- Republicans are just going to oppose a uh, a Democrat idea and vice yeah. versa on principle. I think that's they've what got it is. this adversarial system. Um, you know, and and I suppose the more that politics and tech overlap, which they clearly do, again as we discussed last week, but you know we're seeing examples, we're seeing examples of all the time, not least European Commission with this ethics thing. Um, we had a. Uh, what is it? I wrote about so Facebook's obviously in the crosshairs a hell of a lot, and they did something this week, where basically they seem to placate the European Commission just by publishing some greater sort of clarification as to what your what your rights are as a user of Facebook, i.e., spe- spelling out the bleeding obvious, which is we will we will get your data and we will sell it to the highest bidder, and for some reason that seemed to placate the European Commission in the short term, just to point out this stuff that surely everyone already knew. Well, the thing is, I don't think they did. Because there was there was a survey earlier this week which suggested that fifty-two uh, percent of adults don't understand how Facebook makes money. Right, they're just they're, yeah, fair point. They're, they're just they're, you know, there's an assumption that yeah. they make money like somehow. Senator. Remember the senator? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But they still add senator. But this is the problem. Oh. We're we're <laughs> we're in a very you know we're in a very privileged position, and we take for granted the fact that we understand how Facebook mm. makes money. Most people don't. So. You know, does this yeah. make opt-in completely redundant because Facebook isn't spelling out in black and white how they make money, yet they're seeking consent to make money yeah. via this way that no one understands? Im- the opt-in is implicit as soon as you create an account. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying that's too wide-reaching. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, even, Facebook... Even if they spelt it out, the the impact of willful ignorance is always yeah. going to overcome anything. Ah, ignorance is bless. Willful ignorance. Willful, oh, yes. okay, fair. I don't want to know because I just want to watch that cat video. Well, that's yes. the thing. I think people just they're they're just happy. They're happy under the assumption that Facebook makes money, um, but they don't want to know how Facebook makes money because it's because I like the status quo of getting things for free. You don't free. want to see how a hot dog is made. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. That would be quite cool. Yes, absolutely. Talking about cat videos, <laughs> that would be a cool thing. What if? Every time you watch a bit of content, for example, a cat video on Facebook, I had a little caption underneath saying, be aware that by watching this cat video, we're going to make all sorts of assumptions about you, like you're going to want 
these sort of bizarre products and not even necessarily cat products. They could be they could be back to the AI thing and the algorithm. Our algorithm is going to assume that you're that you're a very sort of lonely person that needs lots of meals for one or some whatever the inference they might make from you watching something. It'd be funny if the little caption was along the bottom. Yeah. It'd make you quite self conscious every time you watched a bit of content, wouldn't it? Mm. But the issue is and this We're is judging you. Yes, quite. This is something that not a lot of other people realise that it's, it's the telcos are doing exactly the same thing. If you ever um, uh, everyone everyone on their computer, Google AdSmart, Sky AdSmart, and you'd be amazed at how um, hyper targeted Sky yeah. can make their uh, advertising platform. So everyone thinks that it's just the OTTs, but you know, everyone ev- there are a lot of people that yeah. are smart enough to actually well, there's actually a, there's create a whole industry called scale that they abbreviate to ad tech. I mean, basically, Facebook is just a media company. Yeah, it's just that the media. Yeah. Whereas we're a media company, and the, the content that we create ourselves, they just appropriate third-party content. But the the business model is exactly the same as a media company, and so of course they're going to use targeted ads. I mean, monetizing an audience. Yeah, monetizing yeah. an audience exactly. I mean, what don't forget what kicked all this off was everyone acting all surprised when it turned out that some political campaigners could target sort of marginal seats or, or certain demographics or something like that using all this clever ad tech but as far as i'm concerned i thought i found a lot of that sort of cambridge analytica um outcry a bit disingenuous because it was just an extension of the kind of targeted advertising that the internet has brought in for you know for decades now but uh you know as soon as you start accusing people of rigging elections and says talk about sort of russians and all that sort of thing it all gets a bit dark and sinister but it's basically just using ad tech and algorithms and i suppose to some extent ai to to target your ads. Look at this. You can target through. Well, that was the tool through yeah. through, uh, through Sky Ads AdSmart. You can target uh, one of the one of the areas that you can target is the age of the youngest baby in the households, which is naught to three months, three to six, six right. to twelve, twelve to eighteen, eighteen to twenty four, twenty four lob, plus. Lob nappy ads at them. And then it goes on to yeah, age of kids in households. Yeah, yeah there's loads. And yet, I find it's these just algor- as sophisticated. Oh, well, it's not as sophisticated. Well, so talking, I was just going to talk about sophistication. For all that sophistication, half the time, I get served ads for Amazon products that I've already bought. So uh, they've still got a bit of work to do. Lots of that. work to do. Um, okay. Well, this is, but this is part of what I was talking about the other day when I was saying that you know the battle for the living room, and I kind of think that Facebook is going to win it because Amazon made its billions by creating a marketplace and also a cloud computing platform. It's not necessarily the smartest business around. Don't get me wrong, the people who made it, a lot yeah. bloody smarter than me. But, but what Google- it's really good at is like logistics <laughs> and efficiencies yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing. But Google is a business which is built on um, algorithms and smart assumptive software. Yeah, so the, the, the Google search engine, it it succeeded because it put the right results in front of you where you know yeah, facebook and really quickly uh yeah. well not facebook um alta vista bing alta vista yahoo was i mean yahoo's directory search engine yeah. and you know this is this is a company whose whose heritage is all software algorithms and smart assumptions yeah yeah so they've got a head start there totally i think they've got the culture for it but i mean don't get me wrong uh, amazon will catch up they they're developing a culture but i think this is why the predicted nature of you know amazon uh, adverts has always been a little bit dumb in past yes um, totally. i think it's getting better because like when i buy stuff it is actually quite good at recommendations um yeah. not necessarily the recommendations 
because you bought this, you should buy this. If you actually scroll down when you're thinking of buying something, there's something down there that says, oh, other uh, people who bought this also bought this, and it is actually decent products, and they, they, they give you a discount for buying all three at the same time and stuff like that. So it, it is getting a bit more advanced. It'll be, it'll be fun if they start making real leaps, like let's say you're reading something about Brexit, and then you get an ad for a yellow vest or something like that. For real. <laughs> a, few, a few sort of leaps. I know, I thought, I thought I'd bring up a little French angle there. Homes to buy in Spain. Um, okay, uh, okay, I'm going to move on to the last thing, which we said we'd talk about, which is uh, 5G spectrum auctions. So I've just been writing about Canada. They've just auctioned out a bunch of 600 megahertz. Um, there's an interesting uh, story in Japan where it's not so much the auction itself, but alongside that, Japan seems to have made a, a stronger statement on what that 5G is allowed to be used with respect to sort of Chinese vendors, which is a bit of a tangent. But before I go off on, on that tangent, I might mention the H word for the first time in this podcast. Um, is uh, yeah in, in, in the auctions I wanted to chat this at, at you Ray so we've, we've got people spending a bit of money the German ones in full flow at the moment they've reached about 5 billion um, which is I think about what people thought but it's not over yet so it might well mm -hmm. go beyond that obviously we know the Italians went mental spent tons of money Ian um, is keeping track of, uh, of this metric that he uses which is cost per megahertz per population which seems like a good way of assessing the overall value mm -hmm. But, you know, we all know, especially the 3G auctions, everyone massively overpaid. Mm. Have you got any sense of what the sort of going rate is for 5G spectrum and whether they're going to get a sort of adequate ROI from this spectrum? No, because, I mean, it is different from country to country. I mean, it, most are following some kind of auction process, uh, but not all. Um, but I'll just repeat what I've been saying for years, is that short-term gain is long-term pain. And the, I would say that the smart countries are the ones who will set a price for a licence and then have very exacting conditions that need to be met like to get that, that sort of to get the licence. A lot, a lot of metrics. This is what they tend to do in Scandinavia. And then, you know, because they want that investment to be in the network, in the services, in the coverage that will bring value to the entire market and not have these companies um, then having to rethink their their economics and their financials once they've actually got hold of a license. That's right, because one... It's just, I think it's common sense, but of course people are greedy. Was it was it um, Denmark or Norway recently that recently finished one one round of Smectrum? And I saw one of the telcos got actually got an allocation of X amount of megahertz in this band. I can't remember the exact specifics, but they got it complete for free. But oh yes, with some really really hardcore uh, coverage obligations, yeah, and that's and a that's really this, good way to do it. It is. It's a really good. Way. I Don't mean, give it the away impact on the impact on GDP, just for example. I mean, I know there's a lot of like you know, oh, how can you measure the impact on GDP? But if you have greater more efficient communications networks, how is that not going to? be a positive for overall yeah. productivity in this day and age. So you're saying that that, that there's too much of a of an emphasis on a short-term cash grab by the state? Yes. Right, and they're not thinking about the long-term benefits to the country? Yeah. I mean, ha have they done the analysis of the tax returns from increased productivity uh, by um, having the Scandinavian model? If they have, maybe they have just... Again, it comes down to lobbying. You know, certain people will not not want that model to uh, to to happen, 
and of course others will just go oh my god you know we need that money to you know build a new road or something like this yeah it's it's very short it's very short termist i think it's 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 counterproductive yeah i mean they could just say you know let's say you know we've got um 100 megahertz of this spectrum band we've got four operators you each get 25 each and this is a cost and these are the obligations they don't have to throw it into an auction format at all no in fact the only reason to put it into an auction format presumably because there will there will also be regulations on it they won't let one operator outbid everyone and get all of it so the only reason to put it into an auction format presumably is to maximize the revenue to the state from the process so well, it seems like the primary reason anyway yeah it's it also is not conducive to attracting new entrants no certainly isn't yeah because it, so if you're setting a low price and putting um uh putting quite a lot of uh, metric again against that you know companies new entrants can come in and say well we know this will be they they have set costs. It's not an unknown. And if you're if you're if if you're a new entrant and you don't know how much a license is going to cost, or, yeah. or you have a certain limit, you know you you know you're going to get up there, and that puts pressure then on the incumbents to bid even more. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean okay. they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They do, but no, I, I think I agree with you on that. And most and obviously operators would agree. I think the German one that's currently underway, and we'll see uh see how it ends up. But they. <laughs> they actually didn't want the thing to happen, did they? They were <laughs> the German operators have got the the worst of both worlds. They've got oh, the they've the, got the those roaming obligations. <laughs> oh, they're kicking them in the teeth, aren't they? <laughs> they've got all of the uh, all of the requirements of a low cost license for a, and have to pay a lot for the license. So yeah, because there's well, I think there's, isn't there one thing where they're they're allowing uh, the, the the roaming regulations is completely counterintuitive that they can buy into they can buy into somewhere yet they like they could like a new entrant can buy into a metropolitan but doesn't have to give but can give roaming rights there but then the the incumbents are forced to give them roaming rights everywhere else in the country so they can buy into the most profitable area and not have to worry about deploying a network right. everywhere around the com- uh, country but then the tel- well, the incumbents have been forced into roaming rights. Well, that's one of the dilemmas of regulation and interfering in markets. Full stop, is you know you think you fix one thing, but then you create another problem somewhere else, yeah, and and that's an argument, a very simplistic argument for a more sort of laissez-faire approach. But obviously, we know with telecoms you do have to have regulation because there's such a high barrier to entry because it's a finite resort because it's a natural a national resource so you do have to have some regulation but yeah the more you regulate the more you will sometimes create problems for yourself um one th- so the thing i want to finish off and we're nearly out of time but the japanese one that seems to have just gone reasonably smoothly i don't think there's any big headlines about overpaying or imbalance between the the major operators there but they seem to have um, and you know, this is something I need to clarify because I've only read one or two accounts of this. They seem to have made a sort of hard um, commitment on Chinese vendors in their 5G network. <coughs> so, as we've discussed countless times on this pod before, the Americans have been hassling all their allies, of which Japan is one, um, to basically uh, freeze out all Chinese vendors, which on the whole means Huawei from 5G networks on grounds of security concerns and their various allies have made you know Australia's come out quite hard sort of last year going yep yep they're definitely out people like us New Zealand Canada have sort of, have sort of sat on the fence a little bit more 
Um, but it looks like Japan, from what I read, have just come out and gone, yeah, all right, uh, no Chinese vendors in our 5G network, which is which is going to be an interesting thing and, and obviously a win for the US versus China in that particular one. Not least by the um, by well, the fact that they're if, right next door. If they make if the, if a decision has been made as a result of US pressure, yeah, maybe it hasn't though. Well, I mean, certainly no. I mean, it was hard. It's, it's impossible to know precisely why they've made the decision, but we can certainly look at the coincidence of US pressure and that decision being made, um, and that decision not being made by people who aren't considered to be US allies. I'm not aware of any, I don't know, African countries or whatever. Um, where there isn't a, a really close diplomatic tie that are making those sorts of decisions. On the flip side, one thing um, I'll point out, uh, something I wrote up yesterday, um, an, an American diplomat or politician or whatever has come out and suddenly said that they that they really approve of Germany's approach to 5G security. Now, this is noteworthy because they've previously given them a really hard time and threatened to sort of withdraw cooperation over um, spying or whatever, intelligence. Um, and then Germany had just sort of went, whatever German for up yours is. Um, if only we had a German speaker in here. Um, and basically told them to back off. Uh, and now the Americans are coming out with this more conciliatory tone. But when I was writing it up, Underneath this conciliatory tone, they're basically saying, "Yes, we really approve of the German way, and the, the, we think the rest of Europe should follow it." Yeah, they've they've really nailed it. They're spot on. So long as their approach to five G security results in Huawei not being allowed in the network anyway, so they're kind of saying the same thing. But in terms of diplomatic language, they've adopted a softer tone, which I suppose is fair enough. So anyway, okay, Pierre keeps looking at his watch. So I will I'll wrap it up there. I nearly made it all the way through the podcast without saying Huawei, but you know, 99%. Um okay, thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you join us for the next one. <laughs>